0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10
1: per order. Additional terms
0: apply. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Rick Wolf's Sports Edge. I'm your host, Rick Wolf. Now, a few months ago, a new book was published entitled Last of the Redmen, a memoir of a St. John's walk-on. And it was the absolutely true story of Bill Mataratona, who grew up in Astoria, Queens in the 1980s, and quite frankly, he loved playing basketball. And basically, Bill, who was a, a sharpshooting guard and excellent ball handler, well, like so many other kids, he dreamed of someday playing for his high school varsity team. And maybe even day, who knows, playing in college. <laughs> the problem was, as Bill went through high school at Archbishop Molloy he found himself trying out each year in the hopes of making one of the truly elite high school basketball programs in the country now back then malloy of course was coached by the legendary jack curran and malloy had terrific teams and each year coach curran would send all sorts of players on to major uh, college programs and some even to the nba but as talented as dedicated as young bill was and although he made it past a couple of rounds of cuts each season he didn't make the freshman basketball team, and he didn't make it the sophomore year. Disappointed? Yes. Discouraged? No. <laughs> Bill made up his mind that he was going to just improve his game and work that much harder and, and keep on trying out. But again and again, he fell short and was cut. And by the time he was a junior, he now began to realize there was little chance of his ever making the varsity. So he asked Coach Curran if he could serve as the team manager, and Curran agreed. So in sum, Bill never actually made his high, sc- high school team. He served under the legendary Coach Kern as the high school team manager. But the truth was that Bill still wanted to play basketball. So the summer after he graduated from high school, he was scouted in a summer league out in the Rockaways by a college coach from Maine. And to make this long story a little shorter, Coach Jim Graham liked the way Bill played basketball. And in fact, he invited him to to come and play at Westbrook College up in Maine. Now, Bill was thrilled and he decided to go to Westbrook. He started there for a couple of years before returning to New York City due to some family health concerns. And when he came back to New York, he enrolled at St. John's where he served as, once again, the team manager. But then St. John's went through a rash of injuries and the St. John's coach, Coach Mahoney, said to Bill, Well, why don't you start to suit up some of the games? And sure enough, the crowning moment was when Bill got into a game as an active player for St. John's. Now, of course, I'm giving you all just the uh, Cliff Notes version of of Bill's book, which, by the way, you can still purchase uh, pretty much anywhere. You can go to Amazon and get Last of the Redmen or go to the website lastoftheredmen.com. In any event, the bottom line is this. Bill was a youngster who didn't give up on his dreams in sports. Didn't make his high school team, but he kept playing and improving and working on his game. And then, unexpectedly, a college coach did see him play, invites him to tryout, and ultimately, Bill ends up on the St. John's varsity. But that's just the first phase of Bill's life. And again, I, I, I love the story so much, as you can tell, but I wanted to get to the second phase of Bill's career, because after his playing days were over, he went on to become a coach himself one of the area's top high school basketball coaches at Half Hollow Hills West out in Islip. And I wanted to bring Bill on the show this morning because because of his unique background, I wanted to get a better sense of how he coached the game and how he communicated with his players and with the players' parents, how he views the game of basketball today, and most importantly, and we'll get into this later on, how he views sports as a sports parent himself. Hey Bill, good morning. and Thanks for coming back to the show.
1: Thank you again, Rick. This is amazing. I appreciate it.
0: Well, I'm telling you, it's an amazing book and uh, an amazing playing career. I hope I did justice to, uh, in my brief recap uh, of what you went through as a basketball player.
1: Rick, you're one of my biggest fans. I can't tell you how great that was. You you absolutely nailed it. It was great. Um, I'm very proud of the book. It's it's really done. It's been overwhelming. The response has been overwhelming in four months, we've sold over a thousand copies, which is way beyond my wildest dreams. Um, and you and you hit all the lessons that the book is encompassed. Um, you know, I, I was trying to, you know, capture my dream, you know, and every kid has a dream. And, and whether it be, you know, they want to go to a great school or they want to play basketball somewhere, or they want to be a violinist, it doesn't matter what it is. Um, everybody has a dream when you're younger. And my dream was to play college basketball and I was lucky enough to play for my, um, you know, my biggest dream was to play at St. John's. And and that's what happened.
0: It, it really I'm, I'm so thrilled to hear that the response and not surprisingly has been so, so positive because it is a feel good story. It is an absolutely true story. And, and, you know, Bill, in this day and age where we get so jaded about, uh, you know, kids and uh, having dreams when they're growing up and then suddenly, you know, sometimes the reality sinks in and they say, well, I guess it's just not going to happen or, or whatever it might be. But here again, if, if it's important to you and it's something you really want to do, all you really want to be able to do life as life as a youngster in sports is to go out and basically try to fulfill your God-given potential. And clearly you felt, even though in high school you didn't make the team at Malloy, you you weren't done yet you wanted to keep going and of course you happened to love playing basketball so the the way this sort of unfolded in so many unexpected ways is that i think people just sort of relate you know in this sort of like every man kind of philosophy that hey mm-hmm. if he did it maybe i can do it too and that that i think that's the real real inherent lesson of this book
1: i i agree thank you rick because thankfully i had amazing parents you know my father angelo and my mother mary were so supportive despite all those four years of high school being told being told no no you're not good enough. Thankfully, they were there um, to pick me up off the ground and and put me in that right direction. My father handled the sports side, my mother handled the, the academic side, and you know my father kind of drove me. Um, with positive reinforcement that you know, don't worry about it. So what? Someone doesn't like you. Keep working at your dream, and and you can achieve it. And and he told me that lesson right after I got cut from the JV at Malloy, and it stuck with me. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to let anyone tell me that I'm not good enough. And 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 thankfully, I had my parents to to put me in that right direction.
0: Well, and that that sort of sets us into phase two of your life. Where now mm-hmm. you finish playing ball, and now you're going in and becoming a teacher, an educator, and you're going to coach. And uh, you end up as, a, as the head, head boys basketball coach at Half Hollows West. And we had an amazing run. And, I mean, two Suffolk County championships, a, a Long Island championship. Your teams were routinely ranked very highly uh, in New York State and even nationally. I mean, you had some great, great teams there uh, in, in the decade you coached. And of course, you had players like like uh, NBA star Tobias Harris you know, play for you. So we're talking about a pretty pretty powerful, pretty elite program. But Bill, it all comes back to you as the coach, and and I, I want to focus because because you came through a situation where you weren't the elite star in high school, and you weren't the elite star in college. You didn't play pro ball. So now you're looking at this as a, as the coach yourself, looking at building up a pretty solid pretty solid program. At Half Hollows West, what kind of philosophy did you bring to your coaching to your kids that you were coaching there?
1: Yeah, you know, Rick, you brought the first time we spoke. You said it's funny that you never played high school basketball and then became a high school basketball coach. Yeah, and I never thought about it that way until you said it that day on the air. Um, I always knew that I wanted to get into teaching, and I was a big social studies fan, so I became a social studies teacher. And uh, when I got the job in 1999-2000 school year, Half Hollow Hills West, um, the administration needed a social studies teacher and a basketball coach. So it kind of fit in pretty well. And when I got the head, after one year of JV, I got the head job in 2000. My philosophy was together. Everything this program is going to do is going to be together, mm-hmm. and I did not have a very good start. My first five years, I only made the playoffs once, and, and those first five years, it was my fault, and and I really didn't have a good go of it, and, and I had some talent, too. Um, my philosophy was kind of what everybody else wanted me to do, and, and I look back at the four major coaches in my life. My dad was my first coach. He was the one that taught me how to treat everyone the same, no matter if they were the best player or the worst player. It didn't matter. Everybody plays, whether it be Little League Baseball or CYO. I never forgot that. Um, Coach Curran, I saw him run a nationally ranked program. Um, Coach Curran gave me the inside look on how a high um, recruit, like Kenny Anderson, was being recruited. So I got an inside look on that. And then, of of course, Coach Graffam up in Maine is the majority of what I did at, at Hills West came from coach Grafton. he was the one that um philosophically i i paid attention to the most and followed the most and then my last the last person is coach mahoney brian mahoney at saint john's who as a walk-on treated me like a scholarship player and i never forgot that and that was he, coach mahoney was most like my father in that respect where they coached they they coached and treated everybody the same and i never forgot that about coach mahoney he's a, he's a great a great person um, well, Bill, very, me, very let, much like my dad
0: let me stop you there cuz we got to take a break i uh, got to take uh, do some commercial messages and get an update but when we mm-hmm. come back i want to get into okay you learned from these great coaches in your life and now i want to know how you implemented their thoughts and strategies into your everyday coaching when you were working at Half Hollows West as their head boys basketball coach, okay, stay with me. Back here on the Sports Edge this morning, I'm talking with uh, Bill Mataratona, the uh, former outstanding head basketball coach at Half Hollows West on Long Island, and we're talking. We just heard from Bill talking about his, you know, his coaching influences in his life as he came up through the ranks, and now as a head coach uh, for a decade at Half Hollow Hills West. Let's talk about this, Bill, because I am always intrigued to find out more about how coaches do these things. Uh, first of all, when you met with the kids at the beginning of practice at the start of the year, uh, what did you say to them? H- how did you handle cuts? Uh, how did you outline the program? How many kids tried out? Give, give me a flavor as to what it was like uh, you know, out there in Islip.
1: So every year we'd have a meeting about a month before the season to outline what tryouts were going to be. So you you talk about what you took from your former coaches. So when I went up to Maine, Coach Graffin would make us run two miles the first day of practice to see if we were in shape. He was a military man. He believed in um, conditioning being a big part of basketball. And I had a a two-mile run on the track at Hills West every year the first day Um, At 2.30 p.m., the kids would run two miles. And if you did it in under 13 minutes, that meant you were in shape. And you didn't have to do the crazy running at the end of tryouts. So the conditioning at the end of tryouts. So the kids knew that for the first three days, if you did that first two miles in under 13 minutes, you would sit there and just clap for the last half hour while everybody else was doing those sprints on the court. And it really gave kids a way to... Um, Focused our energy on getting in shape. And now I, I talked. I always talked as a coach in those first meetings. What can we control? What can we can, can't we control? And what we can control is our conditioning. We can control our energy. We can control our effort. And that's what I'm looking for in tryouts. And and obviously you're looking for the talent. And you know who the talented kids are. They kind of stick out within the first ten minutes. But how are you going to fill up the rest of your team? Are you going to fill up your kids? You know, I, I didn't always pick the kids who were the best players. I picked the kids who were going to hustle the most. Um, those kids that – I liked a, a two- or three-sport athlete. Some of my best players that I've had were, were soccer, basketball, lacrosse players, or um, football, basketball, baseball players. I always took kids that competed. And, and in my first couple of years, I didn't really – really didn't know what I was doing. So after my first five years I called Coach Graham and I had him come down to uh my summer camp and he kinda of redid my philosophy with me. I, I was I was thinking offense first and defense second. Mm-hmm. And and this whole thing with Coach Graham. he said, Billy, you gotta remember we pressed, we played great defense, we helped each other and that turns into easy opportunities. And when I put that in that first year in the two thousand five, two thousand six season I didn't have a great team. I had Tobias Harris as a varsity player as an eighth grader coming off the bench, and we made the playoffs on the last game of the season. And we didn't miss the playoffs after that. I coached for another 12 years. We didn't ever miss the playoffs after that because I changed my philosophy from defense first into offense. So when I was choosing teams, to go back to your original question with tryouts, when I was choosing teams, I didn't always choose the best 12 or 13 basketball players. I chose kids that if they were going to be my scout team, they were going to be my, my last five players. I was going to treat them, first of all, just as good as I treated the, the starters, but I was going to have them as hard workers, kids that weren't maybe the best basketball players but were going to come down and work and guard Tobias Harris in practice every day. Who was going to be that kid that was going to guard Tobias every single day in practice? That had to be a special kid. And we had a couple of guys like that. We had a kid named Aaron McCree. Um we had a kid named David D. Maria, who was another kid who guarded. These were all multi-sport athletes that could guard him in practice and get him better as the season went along.
0: Now, now, Bill, you had Half Hollow Hills West High School, is a pretty good-sized high school. I'm curious, how many kids would try out for the team on any in a given season?
1: That's a good question. When we when we started, there wasn't a lot. We were the doormat of Suffolk County basketball in 2000 and 2001. Uh-huh. But now, as we got better more and more kids want to try out. So if we had a JV and a varsity team, you know, the most you're going to take is 30. You'll take maybe 15 and 15, or maybe you'll take some more in the JV and less in the varsity. And we'd have 80 to 90 kids try out for basketball.
0: So So how did you do that? How did you handle, you know, close to 100 kids trying out?
1: Yeah, we would have to have two gyms, and we'd have the ninth and 10th graders go into the small gym, and the 11th and 12th graders go into the big gym, and I'd have my JV coach switch with me. And I, as a varsity coach, I made all the decisions for the program. I was the one that was going to choose everyone that was going to be on the JV and the varsity. Mm -hmm. And we'd have to go for three days, go back and forth and take a look. And my assistant would stay in the varsity gym and and, and it would be hard. It would absolutely be hard because after that third day, you now have to, I had to do it. I, I couldn't go through 60 kids telling them they weren't going to be on the team individually. So the first day would be that that list. And as I told you before, I don't like to use the word cuts. I said, these are the kids that are selected to come back for the next day. Mm -hmm. But when we got to that next day, then it became more personal. So if we brought 35 kids back and I knew I was only going to be selecting 30, I'd have to have an individual conversation with those five kids. And it was heartbreaking, but I had a story to tell them to say, look, this isn't, this isn't, you know, this isn't it for you. I had one kid. Oh my God, this poor kid. He tried out all four years. He showed up every year to try out, and at the end of his, uh, his senior year, I had to let him go, and he said, Coach, thank you for giving me a look and talking to me every year personally to tell me that I wasn't going to be on a team. No, you know what? I tried out for all these teams at school, and everybody just brushes me to the side. You're the only one that talked to me like a man, and I appreciate that. And I couldn't believe it, what maturity out of a ju- a junior senior in high school um, for him to say that. So, you know, it, it, was, it was a tough situation, but I had a story to tell them about my high school career and that, you know, maybe you can go play in college somewhere. But we were at the point where we were getting so good and we had so much talent that I was probably letting go kids that could play at another high school. And it was almost like that Malloy situation all over again.
0: We're talking with uh, Bill Mataratona, uh, and we're talking about uh, yeah, what it was like to be himself a head coach uh, at Half Hollow Hills West after he himself had never made a team in high school at Malloy and how he handled this because nobody knew better than you what these kids were going through, Bill. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that you said you had the sensitivity to talk to these kids and, and one kid in particular who tried out every four years and was actually appreciative of the fact you took the time to talk to him and explain to him why he wasn't going to be selected for the team. Let me ask you this because, you know, you were coaching not that long ago. Parents, they come to you and ask you, "How come my kid got cut, or what's going on with, with playing time?" I,
1: I, I got to be honest. The Harfowl Hill School District, first of all, is such a beautiful group of people. I, I had some, I had some very tough parents of players that I had on my team, but no one ever called me and say, "Why my kid didn't make it?" They didn't. Because I think because I made that personal connect, because some of them I had in classes as a student as well. And I think the kids knew me as a players coach or a um like a student's teacher, so to speak. So I, I'm, I'm on the side of the kids. I'm always advocating for them. Um, each year when the, ju- the juniors are getting their recommendation letters, I always get like 30 kids asking me for, for recommendations for colleges. Mm-hmm. I seem to be that, that person that the kids can come to, and I like that role. And I think that always came down, that always translated to the gym. The kids knew that I was someone who was going to give them a fair shake. Now, did I have parents throughout the seasons? come up to me and ask me how come my kid's not playing every year it happened um every and, and i it always came down to playing time now my whole speech each year was i will play the kids who merit the opportunity so in other words it was a meritocracy if you're going to help us win if you're going to take on that role of guarding the other team's best player who is our defensive stopper and you can't shoot, we're going to find a role for you because we're going to find somewhere on that court to hide you offensively, but on defense, you're going to do everything for us. I had a kid named uh, John Rogener who ended up playing lacrosse at Siena back in 2007 and 2006. He was Tobias Harris's protector on the court when Tobias was an eighth grader and a freshman, and no one bothered Tobias on the court because John was on the court protecting him. <laughs> um, really, and, and he was five foot nine, five foot 10, but he was the toughest kid on the team, and he would score two points a game, but he, we found a role for him to guard the other team's best player. And John Rogner is, is a foot smaller than Tobias today. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It, does, it really doesn't matter. Um, We had tons of kids who we we created roles for. And that's the other reason. I think um, if you create roles as a coach on the team, everybody feels like they're a part of it. So if they're the scout team, those five or six guys that practice against the starters, on Saturday mornings, if we had a good week, I'd buy them bacon, egg, and cheese sandwiches. I was like, what do you guys want? And the (laughs) other starters were like, well, what do we get? We won the games. I'm like, you get nothing. You get in the paper. These kids get – they get nothing. They get no paper and they're going to get food because they toughed it out all week and made us better in practice. And those guys, I, I, to this day, I love those guys more because that was me. You know, that was I, I was going to say,
0: this is like you're echoing your own, you know, the way you grew up and the way you approached the game in all those years when you weren't getting much playing time. So, yeah, I mean, this is, this is a kind of, as you said, the kids come to you because they know that you're a, a, a player's coach, that you give them a fair shake. And that's all the kids want. They can they can sense very quickly whether a coach is actually just not going to pay attention or just going to play a handful of favorites. Everybody else gets sits in the bench. No, the good coaches know they have to connect with all the players on their team, no matter if they're the star or the last guy on the bench. And and I think that's that's exactly what you're telling me.
1: Absolutely. And I, and the kids that have played for me have always stayed in touch with me throughout the years. One of uh, one of my former players um, who's now going to become a doctor. I mean, this is, he's like, I thought, you know, I didn't know, you know, your program was going to prepare me for being a doctor, but it is. I mean, these are things that I love to hear. And is a kid that didn't play a lot. Um, uh, there's so many stories, but anyway, over the years, the parents, you know, some parents knew that, um, I was out there and, and doing the right thing for the kids. And they left me alone. And and for the most part, I've always, you know, it's been good in Half Hollow Hills. I've had a great support staff, you know, the athletic directors, you know, Joe Panaccio and Deb Ferry. Now they've always been on your side and always, you know, protecting you or, or supporting you. I had a great coaching staff that I still work with to this day at Hills West, a guy named Tom Migliosi that not a lot of people know about. But he's one of the best baseball coaches in the state of New York. And he's a guy that I, he does the scoreboard for all our basketball games. And he would sit there and after the day after the game, he would like, I like what you did there. Why did you do this? And we had our own little coaching, um, you know, office after school that we got together and we would exchange ideas. And, um, you know, Kyle Madden, who was a football coach there for so many years, he just won the Rutgers Cup. We had championship coaches at Hills West that we had this little this bond after school where we would talk and exchange ideas. And I think that was a big thing. To help me as a young coach, that I could bounce ideas off these people um, in like this little coaching exchange, I loved it. I still well, to this day love clearly it.
0: Clearly, coaching is always—it's always a work in progress. And as you said, Bill, you, you, the best coaches learn by paying attention to the people around them, their peers, the other coaches who have gone through this as well, and that's the mark of, of a superior coach and teacher. All right, let me, let me take a timeout. Uh, when I return, I'll continue my conversation with Bill Mataratona. We're talking about, of course, he's the last of the Redmen. Uh, remarkable story. Now we're going to go to phase three in his sports career when he when he decides to retire as a coach so he can focus on basically working with his own kids who are growing up in sports as well. Stay with me. Hey, don't forget that uh, Ed Randall is talking baseball, and, of course, he'll be here, and, of course, that follows the Sports Edge. Ed will be here at 9 o'clock this morning. And as always, I invite you to check out my website and my blog at askcoachwolf.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter at hashtag AskCoachWolf. A quick reminder uh, Secrets of Sports Psychology Revealed. It's now available for sale as an audiobook on Audible. Uh, in fact, I narrate the book, and that was a lot of fun to go back and uh, retrace my thoughts and observations about working with kids in sports psychology. Again, Secrets of Sports Psychology revealed as an audio book, and, of course, you can buy the print version on Amazon as well. Right now we're talking with Coach uh, Bill Mataratona, uh, and we're talking about his life in sports and as he's matured from a high school and college ball player, basketball player, to being now a a high school coach for several years at Half Hollow Hills West out in Long Island. And now he stepped down from that. And you stepped down, Bill, how long ago? About was it 2000? two years ago two years ago yeah, so years ago. and you yeah. did it because you felt the time had come with with your three young, young kids getting involved in sports and i can certainly relate to that myself going through the same process when i was coaching uh you said okay now the time has come for me to really focus on on my children who are involved in sports and to be an active sports parent uh i want to talk to you about that for a few minutes tell us about your family and, and what they do the kids do in sports and and how old they are and everything else
1: so I, ha- I have three children. My oldest daughter, Jackie, is an a 18-year-old senior at Manhasset High School. She just finished playing volleyball, and she's going to continue her volleyball career at Catholic University in Washington, D.C., where she's so excited to go. It's a great fit for her. Great. Uh, my, my other daughter is a sophomore at Sacred Heart High School in uh, West Hempstead, um, Courtney. She's a volleyball player as well. And uh, my son, Brendan, is in seventh grade. He just turned 13. And he's a basketball player and baseball player. Mm-hmm. And my wife, Kristen, gets so much credit for keeping his family together for five months every year during basketball season because my schedule was bananas. It was coming home from work at 7, 8 o'clock at night, having a quick dinner with the family, talk to them for an hour, and then go upstairs and watch film <laughs> or go upstairs and do stats. And I did that for 17 years. Mm-hmm. And with the success, your season gets longer. Um, you know, we, we won the county championship in 2016 and our season ended in March, which, you know, I guess that's a good thing because your season end you'll, you lost in the Long Island championship to Baldwin High School. But the season just ended. And then at the time I was coaching Hills West softball, which I still am doing to this day. I had a great group of girls this year on a softball team. But the next day was the first day of tryouts. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm walking off the basketball court and I'm walking onto the softball field the next day. And our athletic director, Deb Ferry says to me, Bill, take a day off. What are you doing? I said, no, nah, the girls, I, I feel bad. She's like, Oh my goodness. What do you, you know? So anyway, my, my wife gets a lot of credit for keeping the family together, driving them to carpools, you know, and I, and one, there was one year where I was coaching three CYO basketball teams and my varsity team, in one winter. And that was the winter of 2014, 2015. And, and I was never home. And my daughters were starting to get into the high school volleyball scene and their travel season is during the winter. I said, you know, it's time to start watching them. I my wife can't do it all. And now my son is playing um, AAU basketball and he's playing on a bunch of teams. And I I really want to, I want to coach him. You know, I want to be around him. He's such a beautiful kid. He reminds me of my father so much. You know, when my dad passed away two years ago, which is one of the reasons why I wrote the book, is that, you know, I wanted to honor my father and let my children know about my family. But when my dad passed away, it was like he never went anywhere because my son, Brendan, is the same person. It's eerie. Um, you know they say sometimes shooting skips a generation. My dad was a great shooter. <laughs> my son's a great shooter. I couldn't shoot to save my
0: life. Well, I think so, you're being a little uh, you know modest there. But oh. <laughs> the, but you mentioned that 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 magic acronym, and I do want to get your thoughts as as a former high school basketball coach and now as a dad who's involved in sports with your son playing AAU. Billy, what, what about AAU basketball? You know, there's a lot of pros and a lot more cons, I think. But tell me what, what your thoughts are about AAU basketball.
1: Um, I, You know, I'm kind of new to it. Um, people always say, oh, you know this AAU team, you know that. I said every year the kids would come back from their AAU season and come to their high school season. There were two things that I had to do with them. The one thing is that my first, like, month of practice, I wouldn't let them dribble. Um, because AAU whoa, whoa, whoa. balls,
0: you wouldn't let them dribble. I wouldn't
1: let them dribble. I would have practices designed where the ball could not hit the ground, <laughs> because they were just they would get the ball and and oh, look. Uh, there's a lot of good that comes out of AAU. If you, if you think about the college aspect of it, colleges don't come to high schools anymore. They go to they go to AAU tournaments because yep. it's easier for them to see players. Yep. So w- what are they looking for? They're not looking for kids that slide down on defense. They're looking for kids who can put the ball on the ground, get to the basket, and score. So when you do that for six straight months and you come into the high school season, you know, you got to kind of break those ha- those habits. So I wouldn't let them dribble. The other thing that they didn't do was play health defense. There's very few programs that really focus on the defensive side of it because AAU is really a showcase for offensive skills so mm-hmm. that kids can get to the next level. Sure. And there are some good AAU programs out there. But my, so- I put my son with a really great man named Chris DeAspara, who runs this crown basketball on Long Island. And, and Chris is a good man because he does- never raises his voice. He's very kid-centered, um, very player-centered. He gets the best out of them. He's a positive reinforcement guy. So as a parent now, I want my children around good people. I want my children around people. My daughter is playing. My t- both of my daughters play for a um, travel volleyball program called Cali out of Hofstra. And the head coach of Hofstra, Emily Manser, runs it. Emily is a great person. I want them around great people. And, and that's what you look for as a, as a coach whose kids are now playing. Um, you know, it's, it's hard for me to let my son play for someone else because I know what it takes to get to the next level. And I know what it takes to treat people, um, the right way. And so far, so good. You know, he's been around good people and, and that's the way it's going to be for the future. So for me as a player, as a player and then, and then coach, and now a parent, I want my children around good people and they're enjoying it. Isn't, isn't that great to hear? My kids are enjoying the sports that are playing right now. And, and, uh overall, I think that's the greatest thing you can have for your, for your children. You yeah. want them to enjoy it. Uh,
0: you know, Bill, and what you're talking about here are pretty much you're, you're encapsulating or summarizing all the the, the the lifestyles with so many sports parents today. If they have more than one child and, you know, yeah, if they don't, kids don't drive, they have to have to see somebody who has to carpool them or chauffeur them to practices or to games. Uh, and, in, in, you know, a lot of these games are going to conflict. you got to figure out on the schedule and the calendar. Which parent's going to go to which game, which practice? Right. It's hard, and and uh, obviously with travel or, or club teams, a lot of these these programs do last a good chunk of the year, and then you said you got to find coaches that you want who are great people, so that you feel confident and comfortable as a parent that that your kid is going to benefit from that experience, and that's hard because there's no roadmap, there's no there's no handbook out there on which are the right programs or the best programs. It's it's a uh, Bill, um, all I can tell you is that uh, I can I can totally relate having gone through this myself <laughs> and many years ago when my own kids were going through it, and it's hard. And um, I'm sure lots and lots of uh, parents who are listening to this uh, program this morning can say, yeah, well, this guy was a great, great high school basketball coach, and he's trying to do the same thing and making sure his own kids enjoy the sport. And as you said, your kids obviously enjoy what they're doing, and at the end, that's pretty much all we want our kids to do if we're parents. We want them to enjoy uh, the experience. Uh, and, and Rick, one last point. Yeah. I,
1: I, the the book has allowed me to do speeches now in local neighborhoods. So Rockville Center, St. Agnes Parish in Rockville Center in Long Island, had me speak to their girls CYO players and their boys CYO players. And I told my story and these, I've gotten so much positive reinforcement and and feedback from those parents saying, "You just made an imprint on my child. My yeah. child's not the best basketball player. That's what it's all about. That's what this book's all about." And and I've been able to go around to different um, organizations on Long Island and give speeches, and I absolutely love it. I, the athletic director at Half Hollow Hills. Let me speak to the to all the spring um, spring athletes. It's and I got such a great response, and that's what it's about. That's it's, what the book's it's, about. It's
0: such a, a uplifting, wonderful book. Uh, the title, of course, Last of the Redmen. Uh, you can go and get it on Amazon, or you can go to the website lastoftheredmen dot com. It's by uh, Bill Mataratona, who is just just a remarkable story, and obviously has done remarkable things with his, his high school basketball program, and now with his own kids. Billy, my thanks again, and I sure hope people go out and and, uh, ask you to come speak to their towns and communities so they can hear it from the horse's mouth, because it's a great story.
1: Thank you, Rick. You've been my biggest fan. I love it. Thanks so much.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Bill. Uh, We'll talk to you again real soon. Thank you. You bet. That, again, is Bill Mataratona, a terrific story, all true. It's just an inspirational story for kids and sports parents today. All right, let me take a quick timeout. I'll be back with more. Stay with me. Well, as you can tell, I just uh, really much uh, enjoy talking with Bill, Bill uh, Mataratona. I mean, he's just a, a wonderful guy. Obviously, he spent his entire life on sports, and it was clear his inspirational story. I mean, back in the day, there was Rudy, the, the, the football player at Notre Dame. There's something of that in that, but at least Rudy was on the team at Notre Dame and fought to get a, some playing time. This story is more modern day. It's uplifting, and it just shows you that, uh, yeah, if you work hard and keep your nose at the grindstone and don't let your tr- dreams, you know, fade away, sometimes really good things can happen. Now, obviously, Billy, uh, you know, what, a, what a remarkable story of staying, being persistent in his dreams. And now, of course a great career as a high school basketball coach at Half Hollow Hills West, and now he's a sports parent himself, seemingly doing all the right things to make sure his kids enjoy their experience in playing sports. Just uh, wonderful stuff. Last of the Redmen. Okay, that's going to do it for me on this edition of the Sports Edge. Uh, My thanks this morning to Tom Lugauer. Please stick around for Ed Randall. He is up next. I'll see you next Sunday right here on the Sports Edge. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy,